This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast, the post-AEW all-out show. The recap uh, in a second, heck, not in a second, in, in, in several minutes, I'm going to bring on Ryan Pike to talk about the show a little bit more in-depth. But before that, I'm going to give uh, the folks who, uh, who didn't watch the show or who did watch and just kind of want to hear my thoughts a, a quick rundown i didn't want to do that with ryan you know there are there are shows that that do that very well uh and you know i i wanted to do something different with him so we're going to go into a little bit more analysis what comes out of this what 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 they did what the show did well what it didn't do well um but before that i'm just going to give you the the soup to nuts rundown i won't i won't be too long with some of these matches but just so people have that in case they didn't watch and then They'll want to hear Ryan's analysis on, uh, you know, just kind of further deep dive. Uh, before we get into that, though, just want to mention that uh, I'm going to have a, obviously, the Rocky podcast for those who listened. That was sort of in the middle of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, I, I do want to keep that kind of third show uh, up there. I, I'm thinking of doing a series a little bit more on social inf- uh, social media influencers and kind of content creators in the wrestling and MMA genre. I think I mentioned this uh, on, on one of the last shows that we did. Uh, I've already gotten Heidi Fang to say yes. Uh, I'm also uh, I'm, I'm not I'll sort of tease this, but there's a there's a few other women in the wrestling industry who are covering stuff and they're kind of doing their own thing, whether it's on YouTube or, or in podcasts that uh, I'm interested in talking to. So that should be coming. I don't want to promise it for this uh, upcoming week, but uh, if all goes well, we will have something in that Rocky podcast slot. It'll be probably a little, it won't be as long. You know, some of those shows are really long. This will be a little bit shorter. I kind of want to do a little bit of a tighter, you know, 30 minute show or maybe a little bit longer, but that's kind of the goal to kind of, you know, in between our Rocky podcast and then our Karate Kid deep dive. I still want to have something in that slot because I've just gotten used to, to putting out that third show. So Hopefully it works. If it doesn't, then we'll scrap it and we'll sort of figure something else. But that's kind of my plan right now. So um, yeah, so that's it. So so we'll go into this. We'll go into this uh, recap, and then we'll we'll talk about uh, one of the ads, and then we'll go right into the show with Ryan. So 
the first match was our cinematic match, and Tony Khan mentioned that uh, originally this was going to be on the buy-in, uh, on their pre-show. He moved it. I assumed. I, I talked to, to Big Dave Meltzer on Wrestling Observer Radio uh, on Friday night that I just assumed that, oh, you know, Tony Khan saw some of the footage, and he, he thought this was worthy of being on the show. I'm not sure why if he made that decision because I thought the tooth and nail match, the cinematic match in the dentist's office was a whole lot of nothing. Uh, Big Swole wins the match. Uh, she stabbed um, Britt Baker in the leg with uh, what we assume to be a syringe full of Novocaine. Britt Baker was going to use it on her first, so it's not like she just did it to do it. Uh, she did it out of defense, self-defense. And then Britt's uh, leg was numb, and then a Big Swole uh, put the laughing gas, the nitrous oxide, um, on her face, and uh, then uh, Britt went out. So Swole wins the match. It it didn't have any special thing to it. There was no special effects. There was not a creative story Re, uh, rebel was there with brit dump, doing the double team she got dumped into a dumpster all of that stuff was okay but i think you know when, when we think about why you have a cinematic match it is for a reason and it is to show something that you can do with editing and with uh the the, the type of uh video that you're shooting to make it impressive to make it stand out to make it better than what would have been uh, an in-ring match, and I, th- I, I, w- I would say that this was probably better than what they would have done in the ring. But it was, it was a whole lot of nothing. So I'm not exactly sure why they put this on the show. But it also wasn't very long. So um, I think, I think most people sort of saw this as like, ah, eh, this is not, you know, w- it, w- it would have been better if we could have skipped it. But it also wasn't that long. So you sort of deal, uh, dealed with it. Uh, the next match was Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus versus the Young Bucks, and the Bucks were heavy heels in this match. Jungle Boy and Nick Jackson did some really fun stuff together. That they, Jungle Boy was kind of perfect for this match because he is obviously the babyface of all babyfaces, and uh, Matt and Nick were healing it up on this uh, in this match all the way to Matt picking on you know one Marco stunt though you know Marco kind of brought it on himself. He interfered first. Um, Luchasaurus didn't do a whole lot to annoy me in this match. I know I've been really hard on his case on this show, on our normal Thursday show with John. And, uh, for, you know, I I don't think I'm being unfair towards him. I just, I just think that, uh, his style and, and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff that I'm seeing that I don't necessarily want to see in a wrestling match, you know, with mistakes and stuff. I don't think he did anything really wrong in this match. He was totally fine. He played the, you know, he played the the big guy with the hot tag. Um, the finish basically is Jungle Boy. Luchasaurus does this dive, this springboard dive out, and he takes out the entire front row, and so he's tied up in them, and so it's it's the both Bucks and Jungle Boy in the ring together, uh, double teaming him. I think there was a super kick. And then there was something else, and Jungle Boy kicked out two times at like two and five eights. And then finally, they hit the double knee, uh, the, the the BTE trigger, and finished off Jungle Boy. This was a good match. It, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a classic match, I, I would say, but it was a really good match to start the show from the perspective of the energy. And you got a little bit of storyline. You got a little bit of a different version of the Young Bucks, which was good to see. We saw that last week when they kind of stomped out uh, on their show. 
Next match was the Casino Battle Royal. This match left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth, and that was kind of the theme of of these uh, the the next two matches here. Um, a lot of like really not careful stuff i would say you know i'm not sure why some of this stuff happened i I know that they have agents in the back who are really smart people and i feel like some of the stuff in these matches they could have probably said no uh and i'll get to the thing that i'm specifically talking about in a second so the first group uh, of the first five trent christopher daniels jake hager the blade ray phoenix uh five minutes until the next five nobody went out in the first five minutes uh, Frankie Kazarian, Will Hobbs, Chuck Taylor, and then Santana and Ortiz were in the same group, so they were able to do some um, some tag team, double team maneuver stuff in this match. Uh, Will Hobbs was really good in this match. They they pushed him as a, a, one of the strong men in the match, and the strong men were the ones who stood out in this one. Uh, Blade and Daniels are first out, then Billy Gunn, Penta, Ricky Starks, and Brian Cage, uh, obviously on the same team, and also Darby Allen. They were all in the, ne- in the next five. Darby Allen brought in his skateboard and started beating people up with the skateboard. Uh, Cage actually did a, a press, and Billy Gunn is a, is a big dude, so Cage press, pressing Billy Gunn out was, was pretty impressive. Darby Allen dumped out Phoenix. Chuck Taylor also went out next. Uh, Sean Spears came out, but he instead put on a headset and started talking to the announcers like he's the smartest guy in the match. So he's not wasting his time. And then Eddie Kingston and The Butcher and Sonny Kiss and Lance Archer came out. And then all of a sudden, Sean's like, oh, it's time for me to go. Like he did, It's not like he waited any longer than like a minute. So I don't know if he's the smartest guy or not. Uh, Sonny Kiss actually threw out Jake Hager, which was a little bit of a surprise. And then Cage immediately dumped out Kiss. Uh, Santana went out. He ran at Trent. And, you know, these guys, like in a battle royal, in a Royal Rumble, never run towards the ropes. I don't know why everyone keeps doing that. Uh, Archer then threw out Trent, and then he punched out Ortiz, who was kind of hanging out on the apron outside of the ropes, and he just punched him all the way out. Matt Seidel was the surprise entrant as the 21st person, and he was about to do a shooting star press, and he he just slips off the rope and like falls right on the back of his neck. It was a scary thing. He looked like he was in a kind of... I, I don't know if he was selling or if he was really in pain. He looked like he was in pain. And it took him a little bit to get up, but he finished the match. So I'm assuming he's okay. I haven't heard anything even in the um, the press conference stuff. They didn't, there was no mention. Uh, Cage accidentally hits his buddy Starks, and then Darby Allen dumps out Starks. Starks then pulls out Darby and rams him into the post. He, he uh, then pulls a body bag out. He throws, uh, I think he throws Darby Allen back in. I'm not exactly sure how Darby Allen got back in, but then he gave the body bag to Cage. Cage grabs some thumbtacks and he dumps them all in this open body bag. He shoves Darby Allen in the body bag. So Darby Allen is laying on top of thumbtacks. And Darby Allen is in the body bag and he picks Darby up and drops him right on his back on the ramp outside the ring. Darby did not look like he was fine. There was a struggle to get him up. They had to zip open the body bag so they could help him walk off. Again, Tony, I don't remember Tony Khan mentioning anything about this in in the press conference, so not sure uh, what's what's up with Darby Allen. But it did not look good, and it was kind of it's kind of reckless. And I don't know. It's just stuff like that where I'm like, really, you're gonna allow guys to do this and and possibly get hurt. You know, you got to take care of the talent. Um, so, uh, Seidel uh, and um, 
Spears are fighting outside. Seidel did a stomp from the apron, uh, uh, from the, um, I think it was a middle rope to the apron, maybe. Spears is out. Archer knocks out Hobbs and Cage. Seidel pulls Butcher out. And so it's Kingston, Archer, and Seidel. Uh, Kingston throws out Seidel. Butcher and the Blade are trying to help Kingston. Archer uh, is is trying to fight them off while he's got Kingston. Kingston's kind of perched on on the, the top rope. And Archer just throws him from the top rope onto Butcher and Blade. And he wins the match, and he's got a shot against uh, John Moxley. They did not mention necessarily when that was going to happen, but just that he has the uh, the match. So Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara they start their match like it was Spring Stampede, where they're at the, near the football field. Matt's calling for him. Uh, Sammy is in the golf cart and starts uh, driving towards him. Obviously, everyone remembers the golf cart, and um, he he ran into some boxes or something. So the first move is Matt just DDTs him on like a, it's like a park bench, but it's, it's steel. And uh, that's the start of the match. Um, they get on top of the forklift and Sammy spears Matt from the forklift onto the merch table that was sitting, just sitting out, uh, you know, the table was still up and there was still merch on it. And Matt, takes this bump and like maybe his butt and his back hit the table which means his head misses the table and his head hits the concrete again this is another one where i'm like why is this the spot like someone needed to be talked out of this one or they needed to set it up so that it was more safe uh matt is legit knocked out he is out um, Aubrey, the referee, is doing the X, and she looks like she's really nervous, and she's talking to him, and doesn't look like he's saying anything. I was looking for at his mouth to see if his mouth was moving. Nothing. And then finally, he just kind of like tries to get up because they start the count. It's a, it's a last man standing match in these broken rules, and if Matt loses, then he has to retire. So something happened. I, he, it was almost like, a, you know, his he just woke up all of a sudden, and so he didn't even really quite get up, but Sammy helped him up so that he it didn't he didn't get counted out, and then Matt who was throwing like these really weak punches that Sammy was having to sell, and then they finally said like look this match is over we got to call it Doc Samson was like up oh, you know and and so Aubrey calls it match over, and then all of a sudden, as they're kind of walking around they just say that matches started again, uh, and and they're going and and so. I don't know how many minutes it was. Maybe it was a minute. All of a sudden, Doc Samson was able to clear uh, Matt Hardy. And they started climbing the, uh, I think it was like the, the lighting tower. And uh, Matt hits Sammy softly. <laughs> Sammy falls backwards, probably, I don't know, they're probably about 10 feet in the air. Drops through uh, some padding. I don't know, it was, I don't know exactly what it was, boxes or, or something. And he takes that bump. And he gets counted out and Matt wins the match. So it was a frustrating thing to watch them not just say that this match was over. I was also very angry that they did that in the first place with really no plan B in case they did overshoot or undershoot the uh, the spear. And it was just sad. I was just really frustrated because, you know, Matt Hardy has a history of getting hurt and you don't never want to see anybody like that. So another one that just frustrated me. And really this match kind of 
it took away a lot of uh you know sort of my excitement for the rest of the show because i was just so frustrated with with matt and and the and the risk and even the darby thing before thankfully thunder rosa and uh, sheeta had a really good match it was a wrestling match and they slowed it down and they made sure to kind of you know take away some of that shock from what we just saw thunder rosa i think she needs to figure out a way to come back she was uh really good and you know i i I think there are some people who will probably question some of her actual wrestling but it's it was more than that she had a presence she knew how to look to the crowd and to the camera she was kind of soaking it all in she was i thought she was better at that stuff than sheeta was and the match was good like it wasn't you know it's not this great you know, four and a half star match, but it it was maybe the most valuable match on the show because it turned this show from a stunt show back into a wrestling show. And, um, and JR was pushing that, you know, the NWA champion beating the AW, AEW champion was going to be a major headline. And uh, it was, it was, uh, you know, maybe it was a couple minutes too long, but I still thought it was, it was pretty darn good. And, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it takes, Thunder Rosa actually raised the bar uh, of, of opponents for Sheeta. And so I hope, I hope she figures out a way to stick around. Anyways, as we go towards the finish, um, Sheeta hits the Falcon Arrow and Thunder Rosa like pops up at one. So Sheeta's just like, what's going on here? She goes for it again. Thunder Rosa rolls her up and uh, gets a two count. She then puts Rosa in the stretch muffler. Rosa gets the rope to break it up. Sheeta hits a backbreaker that's in that sort of fireman's carry into the backbreaker. Then Sheeta hits a running knee. So she finally gets the win. Again, g- good match. Um, Thunder Rosa can uh, can stick around for quite a quite a while, as far as I'm concerned. Kip Sabian and Penelope Ford announced that they're getting married live on Dynamite. Sabian is going to announce who the best man is on Wednesday. So they're pushing uh, Dynamite from the pay-per-view, which they did a couple times, including in the next match, which was the Dark Order versus Natural Nightmares uh, and Scorpio Sky and Matt Cardona. This was a match for uh, Dustin Rhodes to um, get a title shot at uh, Brody Lee because Dustin beat um, uh, Colt Cabana uh, in, in, in the finish. Uh, Brody Lee... So basically what happened is uh, Colt's trying to impress Brody Lee. Uh, he's doing things to make sure that he doesn't get yelled at by Mr. McMahon. I mean, Mr. Lee. Uh, and, uh, as we get to the finish, uh, QT is in the match. QT did a lot of selling on, on this match. Uh, Colt's about to finish QT. Brody Lee requests the tag. And so Colt's like, ah, it's my time. I'm about to do this, you know, finishing move and I'm going to win this match for us. Brody Lee tags him in or forces him to tag in. And then, um, and then Brody Lee throws QT into Dustin because he wants Dustin. So he, QT's out of it, throws Dustin so he can tag Dustin. Dustin comes in and Brody Lee like just destroys Dustin with his with his discus clothesline. And um, he's like tags in Colt so that Colt could just finish, finish him off. I don't know if it's because he stole Colt's glory before that. But he tags Colt in just so Colt could pin Dustin. Dustin's out. Instead, Colt goes to the top rope, and he's about to do a moonsault, and he misses. And then Dustin goes behind him, rolls him up, gets the win. And obviously, 
you can, as you can imagine, Mr. Brody Lee is quite upset. But they did an interview after the match. Dustin is going to get a shot at Brody Lee on this Wednesday's Dynamite. So another thing that sort of played into Dynamite this week. FTR versus Kenny Omega and Hangman. I think a lot of people expected there to be some storyline progression here. There was a little bit. Um, it was. It was a. I would call it a good match. I wouldn't call it a great match. I think it was lower than what my expectations were. And I think my problem with this match was because it was so long, it was almost 30 minutes. The tempo of it was, you know, you, you know, sort of the, the, the style of wrestling matches, you know, heels get the heat, baby faces get the shine, hot tag, boom, 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 boom. And that's kind of the, the rhythm is this, this heat and this shine. The problem is, is when you do it so much, when you have three hot tags, when you have, you know, heels cutting off either the baby faces after we've already seen two hot tags, like it just gets, uh, it just becomes repetitive and you lose kind of the energy of the next hot tag. And that's what I felt during this match. It was just so long. So as we get towards finish, uh, Kenny is is firing up. He's the Kenny Omega of old. He's about to win this match for their team. Gets uh, Wheeler up for the one-winged angel. Uh, Wheeler gets out of it. Uh, and uh, Omega, I, I actually think he gets double teamed. And Omega throws a V-trigger. I don't remember who was in the corner, but one of the guys was in the corner. And he misses and he hits his knee on the top turnbuckle. And so, obviously, FTR, the ring generals, the the uh, the enforcers that they are, they start working on Omega's knee. Uh, as he uh, as he got close to tagging Paige, you know, Paige is like ready. Paige is the babyface hot tag. He's ready to come back in. Uh, Omega reverses Harwood, who bonks into Paige, so... You would expect, oh, you know, Paige is going to be very mad at Omega for kind of ruining this. Nope. Omega makes a hot tag. Paige starts running wild. He's going through all these moves. It's a senton. Um, but then he gets uh, he gets cut off. They uh, they do um, they do a bulldog off the apron to the floor on Omega. So the old Steiner brothers move. And they do the same thing to Paige inside the ring. Paige kicks out at two. Paige uh, has one of them on the top rope and he kind of he's carrying them and he does that backflip which is kind of like the power slam which is awesome um and it's for a two count and at this point i'm just exhausted i'm like okay what is left what can you possibly do for uh for for the win here page sets up the buckshot lariat omega is holding wheeler in place for the buckshot lariat they both duck then omega goes for the v trigger but he misses Wheeler and he hits Page. Then they hit Page with two spikes, spike pile drivers, and uh, Omega can't get there in time to win them to to break it up and FTR's new champion. So you would think that Page would be the one that was mad, but nope, it was it was uh, Omega. Omega kind of like pretended like he was gonna hit Page after the match with I don't know, it was like a table or something, a piece of a table. And he didn't, he walked to the back, the Young Bucks were back in, in, in the back and tried to talk him down from being so angry, but he was, he was angry, he walks out, gets in an SUV and leaves, and he had mentioned something like that, you know, are the Bucks with him or not, and so we didn't actually get any payoff, I imagine we'll get some more payoff on Dynamite, but if you were looking at this match as sort of the, you know, a, a real big storyline, 
um, progression. We didn't really get that. We got the Omega being upset, but I, I don't know. A lot of people that I was talking to, they didn't really like the fact that there wasn't a lot given out on this one. So, uh, next match, Orange Casting, Chris Jericho. So this was the Mimosa Mayhem match. Match. There was just a vat, like a like a hot tub, full of uh, what looked to be orange tang. Uh, not not sure what it was actually. That and you know the guys kind of tippy toed around it and they teased that one of them was going to go in. The problem with this match is that the second they got in the ring and they did moves and you knew that you know, the match wasn't going to end until someone went in the drink. It was hard to buy any of these pinfalls and cause you could win the match by submission or by pinfall. But I just knew, you just knew watching like, Oh, this is not going to even matter. Like why, why are they even messing with this? It's going to end up with someone going in the drink. Um, and Jericho's the one who did. So Jericho was kind of on the ropes and he ate a couple of super punches and flew back and he went in in the uh, the hot tub and you know orange cassidy at least as far as we know unless there is another match and maybe there will be down the line orange cassidy wins this feud so jericho is not going to be putting over someone like orange cassidy unless he thinks there is value in doing so so maybe orange cassidy is going to move up the ranks here uh, I'll, I'll i'll talk to ryan about my thoughts about you know what they could do with him uh, when we get to the segment and then MJF and John Moxley. So uh, I'll ask Ryan what he thought was the best match, but this is the, the match that I thought was the best match. MJF was excellent. I, I He was much better than I thought he, he was going to be. And not to say that I think he's a bad wrestler. I just think he's, uh, you know, he's very much a personality first and, and in-ring second, but I thought he was really good tonight. Um, the thing about Moxley is... He is not a dumb baby face. And it, it, I, I know I keep comparing him to Stone Cold Steve Austin. And the comparison is not that I think he is going to reach the popularity of Stone Cold Steve Austin. But he is a smart baby face in the same way that, you know, he he's not going to be dumb and trust stuff. And he's going to outsmart these guys. And that's kind of what happened here. Um that there was a there was a thing with Mo, with Moxley's left shoulder that played into the match. He had uh, he had hurt it when MJF had kind of draped it as he's as he's they're on the apron and he jumped to the floor and he kind of slammed Mox's arm on the apron. So that played into the match. Lots of stuff with Mox's arm. He couldn't do certain moves because he was sort of a, a one armed person. He played it as like his shoulder was uh, out of socket, so he was kind of trying to bang it back into socket. Um, Mox had gone for the paradigm shift, and as this part of the story, he, if he used it, he would get disqualified. So the referee was reminding him, and and didn't just remind him; he was like begging him not to use it. You know, don't don't do this. You know what this means. I thought that was kind of weird. Um, and so um, uh, MJF got Mox in the Fujiwara armbar. Mox hooked his foot in the bottom of the rope to break it up. Then MJF went for all of the heel tactics. He thumbed Moxley in his bad eye. There's another situation where I think Moxley had a body lock on him, and he pulls the ref uh, close into him so he can mule kick Mox, and, and he got a near fall out of that. He had a crossroads for a two count. And then Wardlow was on the apron. I think he was trying to give uh, MJF the, the ring so that he could use it. And instead, what it did was it allowed the referee to be tied up with Wardlow. And then Moxley hits the paradigm shift on MJF without the referee seeing. And he covers MJF. And the referee then 
sees the cover and he, he wins the match and Wardlow had this look on his face like I'm in so much trouble so John Moxley outsmarts the heels to win the match and that's how the pay-per-view ended um We'll talk about this with Ryan, but I think a lot of people were disappointed in this pay-per-view from the perspective of AEW usually has really good shows. Not That's not to say that this was a bad show. It had some good stuff in it, but it was probably the worst of their pay-per-views so far. I'll get Ryan's thoughts on that in a second, but before we talk about... Uh, we talk, we'll go a little bit more in depth. I want to talk about DoorDash. I've talked about DoorDash, and as folks who have listened to the show the last couple weeks know, I'm a huge fan of DoorDash. Um, You know, in this pandemic, one of the things that that has been so helpful is, you know, we we, we sort of rely on restaurants to be open, and, you know, it was a little hard for them to kind of get back going. Uh, We're still not all the way inside restaurants. You know, there's some outdoor seating, but, you know, one of the clutch apps this pandemic has been DoorDash because they have enabled us to still get food from the restaurants we love. Um, Ordering is easy. You just open the DoorDash app and choose what you want to eat. Choose the restaurant you want and the food will be left safely outside your door with their new contactless delivery drop-off setting. So whether it's Chipotle, which is a favorite of mine as well. If we ever get an ad for Chipotle, I'm going to go I'm going to go crazy on this uh, on that ad. Uh, Wendy's, Cheesecake Factory, all also your local restaurants are also on DoorDash. So that is great cuz we also like to like to order locally. Uh, as well. So just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on the way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of 15 bucks or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off uh, and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. So don't forget... That's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. All right, uh, I am going to dial up Ryan now. All right, as promised, Ryan Pike joining us. I think the last time you were on, we were talking New Japan, or maybe it was just after the G1 or something like that. So it's been a little while, and I appreciate you coming on, especially it's a little bit later in your neck of the woods, but... About you know about an hour and a half ago, we finished uh, not quite more like an hour and ten minutes. We finished watching the AEW All Out pay per view, which was quite the show, depending on what you're looking for. But uh, overall, what grade wise, uh, A A through F, how would you grade what you saw as a whole? As a whole, I'd say C plus. I think my my overriding comments are. Why, why, why did they make this a four-hour show? Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, I, I think if you cherry-pick the best stuff, I mean, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go through this in some depth later. Like, I really like the main event. I thought the main event was everything that needed to be in terms of setting things up for for where they want to go in the future. Um, I like the I like the Cassidy Jericho match. Uh, 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 Hikaru Shida and Thunder Rosa was really fun. Uh, the opening tag match with the Bucks and... Uh, Jungle Boy and Lichasaurus is really fun, um, but the rest of the stuff, it's like okay, it was it's you know a handful of things that were really good, fall, surrounded by a lot of things that were either 
not particularly good or rather superfluous. And, you know, you had to sit through a lot of stuff to get to the good stuff. And, you know, I, I think by the end of the show, especially, especially that main event, like if, if you cut an hour off the show, I think the crowd such as they were, would be a lot hotter for that main event than they were. So I would say that I agree with you with your rating. I would go C plus or C. I think for at least from what I've seen online, I think it's all based on that tag match. If you love that tag match, and there are people that I've seen on Twitter who really, really love that tag match, then I think you, you, you're thinking that this show was better than those who didn't love the tag match. That seems to be the most polarizing one as far as you know the fans are concerned, at least on Twitter. Who knows? You know, tw- Twitter's just a subset of people. Um, but I think C plus is fair. I, I was... Uh, I thought the main event saved it for me because it could have been even worse, I think, if that main event wasn't up to snuff. And, and we'll, we'll talk about it as we go. I, I mentioned it in, in the opening of this, but you know there was a lot of stuff that left a bad taste in your mouth. So that was kind of hard to shake when you're watching some of the stuff. This was actually kind of good. And I thought, you know, like you said, the Sheeta and Thunder Rosa match was like the match that was like, okay. I can sort of watch this without thinking of the the really crazy stuff that I saw because they slowed it down and they just had a match and it was a really fun match. And, I, you know, I'm sure people will kind of pick at some of the technical stuff, but uh, I thought it probably went, I don't know, like two minutes too long, but still, like it was it was still a, a, a good match. And, you know, I, I, so let's lead with that actually because um, before, actually, you know what? I'll save it. I'll save it because I do have a Thunder Rosa in women's division question for you. Before we start talking about that stuff, though, best match and worst match. I want to hear what you thought was the best and then what you thought was the worst. Best would have to be uh, the main event, Moxley and uh, and uh, MJF. I thought I thought they they told a fun story. I think you know I I think this this is one of the matches where the stipulation really played into everyone's favor because you know it especially after the wild brawls we've seen Moxley be in both in New Japan and, and in AEW. You know, he, he's gone toe-to-toe with Archer in other, other promotion. He's gone, you know, with wild brawls with uh, Minoru Suzuki. You know, in, in AEW, we've seen him go toe-to-toe with, with Brody Lee. We've seen him go toe-to-toe with Jake Hager. So, he, you know, we sort of have a template for what a Moxley match is. And I think they did a really good job sort of subverting that a bit in terms of going – Okay, well, you've seen him brawl. We've seen you know the type of, of matches you've seen him have, but can he do something when you know fundamentally speaking he was sort of at a bit of a disadvantage between you know Wardlow you know being on the outside and the stipulation of that he, that he couldn't use the paradigm shift. And I thought they told a fun story, and I thought it, it was probably the only match on the show where I think uh, officially uh, I think John Pollock tweeted out that I think it went like twenty three minutes, something like that. And it didn't feel that long. It, it, it flowed really well. It, you know, got to where it needed to go. And I thought they did some nice teases. And the finish was clever. I thought, you know, uh, the finish with the, with the ring, I think it paid off a lot of interesting things they'd done with MGF winning that way in the past. And I, I thought it, it left you wanting to see more because, you know, I think uh, in some of the post-match stuff that I've seen, you know, Moxley in his media interviews – you know, basically said if he if MJF didn't try to cheat, he probably would have beat me. And okay, great, that's a great hook for a second match. I mean, I kind of want to like as soon as this match is over, I'm like, well, that's great. I could watch another one of those like tomorrow. 
and I think they'll probably wait for a bit. But you know, it was it was exactly what it needed to be to put both guys in a position where they can you know take a step moving forward. So I thought it was really good. Uh, worst match, I'm t- it's a tie for me between whatever the hell the tooth and nail match was, <laughs> and that it's it's I feel I feel uh, it's almost unfair to sort of call uh, Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara a match because you know they base it was so disjointed and kind of cringy and you know bad in ways that you don't want pro wrestling to be bad. Uh, I thought the Swole Britt Baker match, such as it was, it didn't really have much flow. It was sort of awkward and it i don't really know what they were trying to accomplish with it uh in terms of you know like i don't know they they had a professional wrestler try to use a drill on another professional wrestler <laughs> in the context of like i i, I don't know it's the they could have done different things with it like they could have did like why didn't they just if they're gonna do something weird you could have just done like a dumpster match or something and accomplished the same things like it would have been I don't know. It's it, it was it, it sort of took me out of it a bit, and I thought the the match after them they had sort of had to get the crowd back after sort of I think probably the whole crowd had that sort of Krusty the Clown on the Simpsons uh, clip of what the <laughs> hell was that? Uh, so they I, I, that wasn't particularly good. And you know Matt Hardy, Santa Guevara. I was talking with uh, with uh, Justin Payne, uh, uh, a mutual friend of ours on on uh, Facebook today after the match. And I, my question was. You know, I think probably at this point everyone has seen the awkward clip of Matt Hardy basically smashing his head on concrete, missing mm-hmm. two tables. And my question was – I had two questions. One, how is he supposed to protect himself there because he's basically being speared and falling backwards and had, he basically had a dude pushing him and a dude on top of him. So you know, falling backwards like that, doing the nasty plunge, it's so difficult to protect yourself if not impossible. And two – if you're finished, presumably that, you know, they went to the finish when they sort of did the awkward stagger from the back to the, to the ringside area. So if the big finish of the match is the other guy falling off a high thing, why are you doing high falling off a high thing like two minutes into your match? Mm-hmm. Like it's, they, they just the. I'm trying to figure out what they were trying to accomplish with that particular spot because you could have done something less dangerous that early in the match and built to it rather than sort of go crazy early on. Because if you're in a position where, you know, the guy, you know, the, the more senior guy in the match, the guy who's probably, you know, mapping things out and guiding Sammy through that kind of a, an environment gets concussed like five minutes into the match off a, a really dumb spot. You got to start thinking about what the hell you're doing because it was, it was not good. So, uh, yeah, I, I really love the main event, and then the two sort of brawly cinematic things were kind of the things that uh, made me go, I wonder what's happening in the hockey game. <laughs> uh, so, okay, I, I, I agree with you. I think those would be my choices, too. Um, I, I think we're going to get some folks who think that that tag team match was the best match, though. I, I'm very interested to see the... Uh, the feedback in the in the Wrestling Observer next week with what the best match was. I think we're going to see some of the some of them pick that. But uh, while uh, I think I have to agree with you on the worst as well, and I'm going to lead or I'm going to lean with the Matt Hardy match only because that match took me out of the show. Like I I I was in such a not, I wasn't in bad mood. It was just almost too much to stomach watching a man look like he was literally knocked loopy 
And then because he knows that the storyline is if he loses this match, he's supposed to retire and that he probably feels like he would be putting pressure on uh, on Tony Khan to have to, you know, ruin a stipulation because he screwed up or just that, you know, I mean, no one really screwed up. It's just that maybe it's the, the, per, the person who didn't talk them out of doing that spot is the one who really screwed up. But that, like, I, I feel like he, he, he looked. I mean, he looked like a zombie, really, when he got up. And he tried to do the delete thing, as if to say, like, "Look, guys, I'm fine. I'm doing my character. I remember all this stuff." And you know, we know all the stories, though. You know, Mick Foley off of the Hell in the Cell. Like he did all of his signature stuff too. He just did with a tooth up his nose. <laughs> but, but like we know that that's kind of the deal. So, um, and, and then they didn't. They didn't. Do it any fa- do themselves any favors when they had Tony Schiavone like and Jr. just be like oh everything's fine, and they did that twice. They said they're both fine. That was about a half an hour after Brian Alvarez tweeted that Matt Hardy was going to the hospital, and then they came back again and they were like oh no no you know we just want to clarify Doc Sampson you know he listened to Matt Hardy but he also did you know he also did his, his diagnosis was that Hardy was okay and I'm like I, I watch football. Every time someone gets their bell rung, they go into this blue tent and they're out of the game for 10 minutes. I, I, I saw Matt Hardy like the whole time. You're telling me he went to the blue tent and you were able to diagnose him, you know, and say that he was okay. I, that, I'm calling bullshit on that. So, JR, Tony Schiavone, you guys are supposed to be the, the truth speakers here. And I know that that's sort of your job to advance this story, but like bullcrap. Like, we, we, we're, we're not dumb. So, that yeah. really frustrated me, and it took me out of a lot of the show. Like, like a lot of times when we're watching stuff, I'm just thinking back, like, ah, oh, like why do I, why am I so down on this? And it's all because of that match. And it's not even Matt Hardy or Sammy Guevara's fault. It's just whatever happened happened. But the way that they handled that, you know, we give WWE a lot of crap for the dumb stuff that they do and the stuff where they're not really thinking about their talent. Th- this wasn't as nearly as bad as some of the stuff, but this is bad. Like I hope people really continue to raise this. Uh, and and I didn't see any of the all out media stuff, but you know they need to they need to answer these questions about what's going on because this was not safe. You know you saw Reba um, or Aribi Matt's wife tweet out she was not happy. Like I can't imagine you know that they can just uh, pretend like this was oh just part of the gig and you know we'll do better next time. Now you, you guys need to sort of figure this thing out. And especially, like, let, let's be honest here, like, you know, you, you watch a lot of football, I watch a lot of hockey, I've personally seen probably close to 25 concussions in person, <laughs> and as soon as someone gets their bell rung, you can immediately tell, you know, that it's the, the what's the old, uh, the old wrestling adage was, they're on Dream Street, well, mm-hmm. you can usually tell when someone's got the wobbles, or they got the, the you know, the thousand yard stare going, that, you know, they're going to the quiet room and the more we're learning about, you know, traumatic brain injuries and CTE and, and those kind of things and the long-term effects, you know, uh, you know, looking at you just in professional hockey, like, you know, the, the, the team I cover, the Calgary flames, lost the best player for uh, the better part of a playoff round because he got, he got, you know, he clashed heads with another player on, on a body check and he very obviously had some kind of concussion, you know, who knows with the severity of it, uh, but he, you know, in his year-end media availability, he told us, you know, yes, I had a concussion. I was probably about a week away from returning. So he, he would have lost about two weeks of of the year based on the very specific and very rigorous protocols that the NHL has put in place 
similar to what the NFL has put in place because the NFL and the NHL are both union environments and they've both uh, been involved in concussion lawsuits over the last five years. And the, you know, I, I could just tell you flat out in terms of injury protocols, concussion is the only thing you can't mess with. Uh, if you yep. break a, like, the, you know, the flames had a player playing with a broken foot. They had a player playing with a torn bicep, uh, Actually, tricep rather, not bicep. But you know, you have the you can play with a torn whatever or a broken whatever if you are willing to take a cortisone shot and you you're willing to suck up the pain. And is that a laudable thing to do? Well, no. But we know a lot more about how to repair biceps and t- triceps and bones than we do the human brain. So I think it's probably good to let discretion be the better part of valor there. And in this case, like you know they. Let's be blunt. Broken rules are made up. It's 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 a work. You can do whatever you want to do with it. So let's say, you know, if Matt can, you know, answer the bell and like, oh, yeah, he had, you know, he was obviously dazed, obviously not in a, in a position to probably compete. Uh, God knows what the hell the doctor was thinking. But he said, yeah, you can go. But. It's it's a made up stipulation. It's it's a work. So if you don't it, like say it's, I think they're using last man standing rules for the under the broken rules thing. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. as long as he can get up and wobble away, they can just pick it up later and just say, oh yeah, well you know you just make some make up a rule. Just say you know t- tune in on Dynamite Wednesday and we'll figure out what the next step is in this. Like I, I don't think they got a single pay per view buy from having Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara have another match after they already had a match. They've had a few matches. So having another Matt-Sammy match with a weird stipulation isn't really moving the needle. So you might as well err on the side of caution and be able to, you know, have fans feel good about your product rather than sort of feel, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of gross about it. Like, I feel I I, and I I was doubly impressed by by Sheeta and Thunder Rosa in retrospect because after seeing you know I I can't imagine the crowd was you know pretty excited about about uh, <laughs> seeing more wrestling after seeing Matt Hardy get his his head bonked off so the fact that they were able to get the crowd to the match and have a pretty good seventeen minute match was you know that's that's extremely commendable especially in theory that you know uh, compared to a lot of the folks on the show Sheeta and Thunder Rosa aren't really you know particularly known quantities or especially Thunder Rosa. I think she's known to, to some audience members, but just the fact that they were able to get folks into a match with some characters that they probably not, might not be as familiar with. That was, that was really well done. Okay. So I want to ask you about the trajectory of some of the guys, some of the winners and losers from tonight's show. Obviously I think AEW prides themselves in long-term storyline booking it doesn't mean that everything is long-term but but a lot of the stories that they do have uh are, are long-term like this omega and page uh, uh stories is you know it's been going for uh quite a long time now so i mentioned in the uh, you know uh with thunder rosa and the women's division so let's just start there if you, you we watched the match thunder rosa was was really good Sheeta was good like you said they kind of they kind of they were valuable in in the sense of you know we 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 need to bring some of this stuff we need to bring the crowd back a little bit and and I thought they did a good job. It was all, uh, depending on your what what you think about uh, some of the previous uh, matches in the women's division. 
I thought it was one of the best ones. I don't know if it was the best. I can't think exactly, you know, of a specific match going out. That was the best one. You know, this was second best. But, I mean, it was up there with one of the best matches. And I feel like if you're Thunder Rosa, I know you got to deal with NWA, but, you know, this is weekly television. Uh, not to say you need to leave that deal, but I would, you know, I would hope that she could do something so that she could continue to be on this show because I think she raised the game uh, of Sheeta. And she was able to connect with that crowd in a way that most of the women on that show can't because they're so worried about, you know, I, this is what I think. I'm not 100% sure, but it seems like they're so worried about, you know, making sure that they don't miss steps in the match. But she's able to have a good match and she's able to connect. She looks to the audience. She gets people to cheer. She sells, you know, uh, well enough. And I just think, you know, they got something with her. What, you know, where are we going next with uh, the women's division, with Thunder Rosa, with Sheeta? Like, do you did you sense anything coming out of this show? I hope Rosa's back because I, I thought I agree with you. I thought one of the things that worked for me a lot that doesn't really work for me with the AW women's division is, you know, I'll steal a Dave Meltzer phrase. It feels like a lot of the women in the in the AW division are playing pro wrestler rather than just being pro wrestlers you know there's a lot of you can sort of see them you know think about what they're doing rather than just do it and she and rosa just wrestle they just had a wrestling match and instead of you know worrying about where they're supposed to be or what who's doing what and when and sort of getting you know caught up in the details they just had a really good match they just did mm-hmm. it and that was something that you don't really see as much in uh in their matches i think she has been been really good the last while making sure that her stuff is good and sort of guiding people who are less experienced than her through matches. And, and, and I, and, but I also think that she's going to have a good match yeah. with people she can have a good match with. And with the folks that you wouldn't expect her to have a good match with the, the there's going to be some, some struggles there, but I could watch Thunder Rosa and she to go again at the next pay-per-view, you know, no matter yeah. what the stakes well, are, even, even, because now even, that I, that I have this match, I, I, I have that to fall back on. I go, I, I, I've seen it before. They can do it. Well, even even just the idea of okay, they brought in Serena Deeb for one shot to do a match with Thunder Rosa, and that was probably the best women's match on Dynamite in forever. So okay, great. They, I, it, I hope this indicates an awareness of what they don't think they have because mm-hmm. you know, like I think Swole is good. Britt Baker is getting there, but I think she needs experienced people to work with because I think I think the challenge is if Britt Baker is working with people less experienced with Britt Baker or equally experienced. It's going to be hard for her to get better, and she's she's well, got there's, the. There's a reason stuff. that they had a cinematic match, yeah. right? Yeah, but she's got the. <laughs> that, she's, that, that, there was a reason she has problem outside of like maybe you know the Bailey Sasha Banks uh, stuff on uh, on SmackDown. I thought Britt Baker has been doing some of the best character work in pro wrestling in the last like six months with her her role model stuff. You know, uh, just you know, just the whole like the sub the subtext of her gaslighting Reba Reba, where you know she called Rebel by the wrong name long enough that. A, she's answering to the wrong name, and B, everyone else is calling her the wrong name. <laughs> like it's 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 so dark and it's so well done that it's like okay, great. If Britt can just get the in-ring stuff to be a level better than it is right now, she could be a huge, huge asset for their for them. You know, b- with the whole package, and she's not there yet, but I think she's getting there. She's definitely leveled up with the character stuff. But okay, like if if the if your long-term destination is in theory a coronation of some kind for Brit, you got to figure out how to get there. And I think 
for the in-ring stuff, you just have to give her more experienced people to work with. And, you know, maybe you put her with Thunder Rosa for a little bit. Maybe you keep Serena Deeb around. Uh, in terms of what's happening with, with Cheetah, like, I – it seemed like they were building to something by putting Vicky Guerrero with uh, with uh, Nyla Rose. But we haven't really seen mm-hmm. a lot of that, although they're in the, they were obviously in the crowd tonight, but they weren't really referred to. So I don't know what they're doing with that. I would assume with Swole getting a win over – uh, you know, Britt Baker, probably the most visible female on the show outside of Sheeta, that she'll probably get a title match. That would that would make sense. But I don't feel like Swole is sort of someone who moves the needle enough to take the belt off of Sheeta, especially with, you know, it's been mentioned before, like, you know, we're coming up on uh, one year of Dynamite and like a year and a half of, uh, of AEW. And they've been really good with not hot shotting title changes. Uh, so, yep. OK, like if you're, if you're going to do it, like me, I assume we will see a Nyla Rose rematch at some point in the future. Who knows when? I assume Swole will get a title shot probably ne- probably soon. Uh, I don't know when soon is. Maybe that's the, the, the November pay-per-view. Uh, I assume they'll gradually bring Britt Baker back into more prominence in the title picture. I don't think it's, she's going to get it soon coming off a loss, but uh, there's a lot of stuff they can do, and I think – I'm very curious what they do with some of the the periphery stories because you know Anna Jay is pretty good, you know uh, Tay Conti is pretty good, uh, you know uh, they had some stuff going on with with Allie and uh, and Brandy Rhodes for a while, uh, so th- they have a lot of people who you know I don't I think the challenge is so many of the people that that I just mentioned you know aren't terribly experienced or terribly polished yet and could you know stand to spend some time on dark just sort of working some longer matches and sort of getting their their rhythm down so that when they're put in this kind of a situation you know they don't sort of get you know the the they don't freeze they just do things and you know I, and I think that's why you know I think that's why Swole and Baker were much more you know, prone to having a better match in the setting they were, they were put in because, you know, you have, you have a net for them and Sheeta and Rosa weren't given a net. They were just put out in a very weird situation and said, okay, uh, do a match please. And they did, they did it and they nailed it. And I think, you know, if you can build up more women to have that skill set, then you can throw at any number of people without a net and have them really succeed. Don't let uh, John LaRocca hear that you said Swole is pretty good because he's that, I think he's uh, for him. She might win worst wrestler of the year. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, so uh, so what about what are your thoughts about this Omega and Page and the Elite and how that all works out? So they obviously they they lost their tag team titles. Kenny Omega looked like he was about to snap and he was very angry with Hangman and. That kind of that that came a little bit out of nowhere for me because I didn't think I thought that they maybe skipped a step with him being ready to or even thinking about blasting Page with uh with with a foreign object or a table or whatever he had in his hand, but he was clearly upset. Walks to the back. The Bucks are trying to calm him down, and the Bucks were totally heels on the show tonight, so they're they're trying to calm him down. Uh, he he gets in a an SUV and says something to the effect of you know. If you're with me, then you're with me all the way. Or I, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it's sort of like, you know, are are you with me on this situation? Because I'm upset, and I, you know, I'm gonna stay upset, and whatever. If this meant he'll turn, I don't know. They didn't explain it, but I'm sure we're gonna get the explanation. Uh, maybe maybe not the full explanation, but some of it. We'll get we'll get a little bit of it on the next TV show. But as you're watching this, we've been watching this story for a long time. FTR, new tag team champions. 
But where do you sense things are going with Omega, Page, the Bucks, and everyone involved in this storyline? Oh goodness, that's that's a very good question. I I I wasn't quite. I think the the, the big challenge for me, and I think probably for a lot of people watching that tag match was, you know. Okay, the the big the big hook of of the tag title matches, especially after the 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 build they had on Dynamite on Wednesday, was okay. Mm-hmm. Who's turning on who? Like FDR will probably win the titles because they are an actual tag team with matching gear and an actual tag team name. Whereas <laughs> Kenny Omega and Adam Page are two guys like they've been banging the you know these two guys are the mismatched tag team and they're gonna lose to the the team that's actually a team. And lo and behold, that is what happened. But the, the sales pitch was who's going to turn on who is, you know, because Omega has been sort of showing signs on uh, both on BTE and on, you know, the, the canonical uh, or, or canonical uh, AEW programming uh, of sort of being more heelish. Uh, you know, he, you know, they, they had that match, uh, I think a couple weeks ago or last week where he just, you know, beat the holy hell out of, uh, I think, uh, Alan Angels after after a tag mm-hmm. match. And he's been, you know, he did the same thing with, uh, you know, little Marco Stunt. He beat the hell out of him. So they, they've been putting the seeds of basically when Kenny Omega wins a match, he just loves to keep beating guys up because, I don't know, he's a jerk or something. They, they haven't really gotten into the, the minutia of it. They just, he's sort of been more aggressive. Uh, and... You know, Page is Adam Page. He's a cowboy. He doesn't really, he hasn't really gotten along with, you know, his tag team partners or the group in general since like, what, last year? Since he he lost his uh, his title shot like a year ago uh, to Chris Jericho. He sort of, they started him on this sort of long-term storyline in terms of, you know, who is Adam Page? What's he doing? Uh, and they sort of, they, they haven't, I think the challenge is connecting the dots in terms of, well, Who's, who are you supposed to be rooting for here? Because, you know, there's so many, you know, heels right now on this roster. The only, you know, the, the, the only pure baby face they have right now is probably, you know, uh, you know, the, the world champion, John Moxley, and everyone else is sort of various shades of gray. And I know, you know, that's sort of one of the things that they want to, you know, go towards where it's sort of, you know, you don't really have clear good guys or bad guys, but you sort of have, you know, factions and sort of guys that sort of, are all buddies with each other, but hate other guys. And it's, you know, they've been pretty consistent with it so far, but I'm just, I think the, the crowd and I think a lot of the audience on, you know, watching at home, I know speaking for myself, I was waiting for a big moment here. And the big moment was Kenny walking away slowly rather than any, so there wasn't really no punctuation to the emotionality of it. And, you know, it was sort of left in the air. And I know, you know, they have a television program. They would very much like people to watch every week. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, you know, this is definitely going to drive eyeballs to, you know, Wednesday show to be like, well, what the hell is going on with the elite now? Cause I'm, my question was what the hell is going on with the elite? like, they solved nothing here outside of, Oh yeah, yeah. So Kenny Omega and Adam page still don't get along with now. They're not champions. So they don't really need to get along. So like, I assume Kenny's, going singles again question mark is he going full bad guy or becoming the cleaner again or i i don't know so there were some moments where page could have been upset at something omega did but page seemed to be like the one to trying to keep the team together to keep omega focused like there was the the, the 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 high 10 that they did in the ring, and that was very much Paige being like, dude, come on, l- l- we're in this together, high 10. And Omega was a little like, uh, okay. 
And then there was a there was the po- a part where uh, they were trying to make the hot tag, and then Omega reversed. Uh, I, I think it was Harwood into Page, knocked him back, but Page still was there. He was still there, ready for the for the tag. And so, to me, after Page was the one who it seemed like he was kind of going astray, it is clearly that Omega is the one who seems to be going astray, and ha- ha- pa- Page would have reason to be frustrated with him now. So like you said, you know, they're probably setting up something for TV, which I'm totally fine with. Uh, they did that in, in another match with uh, the dark order and uh, Dustin and QT and Cardona and sky. Like it was basically a setup for uh, Dustin to face um, uh, Brody Lee for, for the TNT title. So there is some of that for sure. But like you, I was a little bit disappointed that we didn't get a little bit more sufficient uh, so, 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 you know, sufficient information about yeah, and, and just getting so. into the weeds a bit, just in terms of one of the things I didn't love about that match in particular, like you know, the the AEW audience and you know, hell, the AEW wrestlers are sort of students of professional wrestling. I know, you know one of the things I, I know in our Facebook group, one of the things that I've liked that they've done subtly with John Moxley is Moxley is just sort of picking up other people's finishing moves when he beats them. So he's been using the you know the the gosh pile driver since he beat Minoru Suzuki in, in February, and I thought it was like that's that's a really subtle cool thing that they've added. Like I think he did an air raid crash, and I, I forget who who he, he wrestled last year who did use the air raid crash, but like there's a bunch of guys who uh, he's just sort of picking up stuff from in a way that's sort of adding to his repertoire in a clever way. And so when when they when FTR was really working the leg of Kenny Omega. I thought they were going towards something along the lines of, you know, the the famous, uh, you know, Royal Rumble '94 match uh, with Owen and Brett against the mm-hmm. Quebecers, mm-hmm. where it, you know, you know, Brett tried to go it alone because he's a singles guy, he's a former world champion, he can do it himself. You know, he'll be the hero of, the, of this of this story, and then his knee gives out and they lose. And okay, like that, you know, it would sort of tie in with the he's, you know, he's going astray, and Paige has, you know, perfectly valid reasons for being mad at him. You know, and then that could lead to more of sort of a, a, a two-way breakup rather than whatever we got this time. And I think it would have sort of at, made the story of the match a little bit more coherent because, you know, uh, I I really like that match. But I thought it was 10 minutes too long and I thought, you know, they just did a bunch of moves that didn't really tell a really cohesive story. They didn't really have much of a through line through everything. So – uh, that's just me nitpicking, but yeah, it just, th- those are one of the things that's like, they're usually so good at those kinds of details that it seemed like, it, especially in this match, but throughout the show, those little things weren't really clicking the way they usually do. Yeah. All right. Let's do a couple of quick ones here with some of the other, uh, the other matches that happened. Um, MJF loses his very first uh, title shot in, in, you know, in his very young career, he's going to have tons more. He's, I, I thought he, outperformed what what i was expecting i thought he was really really good and i, I not to say that he's a bad wrestler in any way but he's i, I don't i don't know i don't may, maybe i'm overlooking him but i don't think he's ever been as good as he was tonight with with the total package but where does he go from here do do we do do we go with a, a rematch at some point maybe they do a rematch on tv uh but you know he's got to go down if he's not if he doesn't win so what what do you do with him as far as uh, his next feud? Oh goodness, that's a good question. Maybe maybe you put him with Orange Casty. You could maybe use, revisit him and Jungle Boy because they were both 
so good together in that match they had early this year. But don't you think uh, he's sort of leveled up and he's kind of in the he's he's going to be sort of always kind of in the mix there at the top, you know, sort of near the main event, but maybe maybe he's got to fight his way all the way back up. But I just I just look at his this as sort of like a graduation for him in a sense. I'm just curious who there is left for him to work with right now because, yeah. you know, like I, my, my big thing was like, okay, uh, so Archer's next. Who do they have who are sort of baby faces, baby faces they can work with? Because him and him and Omega could be really good, mm-hmm. but that probably doesn't really tie into what they're doing with Omega. Uh, you know, him and Cody, are, they were great last, you know, when they had that feud. But Cody's sort of seems like he'll be off the show for a little while. And, and when Cody comes back, he seems destined for uh, a Brody Lee rematch. Um, maybe you like I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to in my head go through. Who do they have who's around who could be a good fit for him? And, let's and let's I'm sure not let, a blank right now. Let's not forget that supposedly, according to Tony Khan, that there's a possibility of more surprises coming in uh, in the near future. He mentioned after All Out that he that they had some surprises. I don't know if that means talent uh, or whatever, but you know, if they, if it is talent, then you know, MJ, MJF could be working with somebody new as well. Yeah, and but, I, and I think that you know. They've been, I think the we've we've seen uh, sort of some of this the limitations that WWE is having with some of their shows where you know I, I always think when I every time I turn on Raw it seems like it's Apollo Cruz working with one of three guys over and <laughs> over and over and over and over again uh, in various settings and I think to a certain extent AEW is sort of having having some limitations because you know if, if they had Pac available all of a sudden that sort of opens up a whole new set of things they could do but. They don't, so they have to work with what they have. But I don't know. I think I think the big challenge is, you know, how do you how do you keep MJF in the forefront without sort of having him just sort of twiddle his thumbs? Yeah, 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 totally. That, that, that's that'll be an interesting one. And I, I, would, I mean, I imagine you know they don't do this stuff without knowing where they're going next. So I would imagine that that they do have something. But uh, okay, Cassidy beats Jericho, wins the feud two to one. I don't imagine that they're gonna have another match but maybe they they do but this should be another graduation right and i guess my question is does he go back to being the sloth or is he now someone who can fire up at will and he has more personality and he cuts promos because we've seen all of that during this feud i just wonder if he could go back to the sort of mysterious happy-go-lucky version of himself now that he's won this feud and and the the thought is like there are two guys maybe three guys in the entire promotion that almost never lose and when they do it means something you mm-hmm. know it, this is MJF's first loss in in AEW uh, you know in terms of being pinned or submitted Moxley hasn't lost a one on one match yet uh, Jericho has lost like maybe a handful and you can sort of put you know count them on the top of your head like you know the last decisive loss Jericho had before Cassidy was John Moxley so is Cassidy creeping into the I imagine we'll see him in the top five fairly soon if not this coming week because he did just beat a former world champion twice so what do they do with him because I don't think they can put him back as sort of a joke character Mm -hmm. after opening the you know once you walk through that door you got to keep walking so to me to me Jericho didn't lose for any for nothing right he lost to really accentuate this guy and move him up at some point this year 
if not this year, early next year, I want to see Orange Cassidy versus John Moxley. That seems like it's it seems like it's it'd be you know, much like the the MJF situation, put Moxley into a completely different type of match than he's usually had. Can you imagine the type of match that Orange Cassidy could have with John Moxley? <laughs> like, I, I I would pay money to watch that. All right. So uh, after Orange Cassidy, uh, just quickly because it was kind of a big story tonight. What do you do with Matt Hardy after tonight? That is a very good question. Uh, I I I don't I don't know. Like he's. What's his? He's sort of. I assume he'll still be doing stuff with Private Party, and Private Party won on on the pre-show. So yeah. I assume that you know they'll That's probably the move. I, I think they're trending long term towards doing a six-man belt, and maybe Hardy sort of working with Private Party, you know, long term and sort of helping them and working with them in six mans could be really good, and it'd be fun, and it doesn't involve Matt falling off of things, so that could oh, be God. good. Uh, you know, same with like, I think they have a lot of guys, especially now that they have so many people on the roster, you know, figuring out, you know, who do you package him with that he can work with and sort of, you know, you can mix and match and just sort of put him in matches for a while because, you know, he, he's, he's valuable enough as a, as a, as a more senior guy like him and him and Dustin Rhodes can just do, you know, 10 minute tag matches with the entire roster into perpetuity and it'll always be good and it'll help the young guys learn and it'll fill TV time. It'll get guys reps and it won't involve them falling off of things. All right. Last one. We already know the next match, which is Mox and Archer. I don't imagine that Archer is, is the guy that they are going to transition this belt to. Um, Who's who's Mox's guy for full gear? I would almost think Kenny Omega at this point because they've kept them. You know, they've they've it would be a year apart for a while. Like they've they've kept they've kept Moxley apart from Jericho for the most part. Uh, yeah. Other than commentary stuff, you know, they've kept. You know, if you, if you look at the 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 characters that the sort of got people with different orbits, they they're keeping apart. Like Omega and Cassidy haven't really interacted at all. Uh, Omega and Jericho haven't really interacted at all. None of those three guys, Moxley, have really interacted at all. Uh, before this program, you know, MJF didn't really <laughs> interact with you know Jericho or Cassidy or Omega or any. You know, so they sort of have you know four or five really prominent personalities that they don't really bring into each other's orbit too often. And now that sort of MJF is probably going to be, you know, uh, rotated off a little bit and Omega's out of the tag division, which all due respect to both men was probably a waste of Omega and Paige's time, but gave time to, you know, it gave them time to build up, you know, Cassidy and build up MJF and, you know, build up some other personalities and sort of give Moxley some oxygen as a, you know, first time really, you know, it, I, I don't really count as WWE world championship run because it seems like WWE doesn't, but, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, you give Moxley a chance to really be the, the, the standard bearer, the world champion and be the main event guy. Okay. Well now you have Omega who's already done that in Japan. And now you have, you have a kind of a cool thing because, you know, Omega can Omega very quietly barely loses in singles matches. He's mm-hmm. had a great run in singles matches, and I'm pretty sure the last major loss he had in a singles match was John Moxley. So mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense, and especially, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, maybe that's where they're going with this whole Omega is trying to do a clean break and refocus himself kind of thing. So the reason why I don't think it was a complete waste of both men is because I think Paige is much hotter 
after this tag title run than he was prior. And he was hot, right? He he's he's sort of this uh guy on an island even though he's part of this team. But I do think that this helped his personality come out a little bit, his character, he actually does have a role on this program if he was to split away from the elite he's no longer like just the young up-and-comer he is he is somebody who um who they can turn to and look if he's the guy who's the next title you know who who, who eventually gets the title shot like it's totally plausible i mean he was the first guy but now coming back you're like yep yeah, he, he's back in the mix he's, he's definitely good enough so um all right anything else you wanted to say about this pay-per-view before i let you go uh no, I mean, let, let's be honest. If this was probably the worst uh, AEW pay-per-view to date. Uh, that's not to say it was bad. I, I, you know, it was the big, you know, the, the, let's be honest, like a C-plus is a passing grade. Although on AEW scale, a C-plus is abysmal. But that just shows you how good the shows have been to this point. And, you know, it was, you know I think uh, I think Adam Summers on Twitter uh, from, from the Adam and uh, Mike Audio Nightmare on the Wrestling Service site sort of posted, you know, new promotions eventually have a clunker and mm-hmm. i maybe they took a look at this and be like okay what didn't work because you know they they you know tony khan's been critical of you know he didn't he doesn't want to go to three hours for for dynamite because that's too damn long for a wrestling show uh yeah so maybe they look at pay-per-views and go okay like I, if they if this was a three-hour show this could be a really cracking three-hour show at four hours mm-hmm. it was just there was just you know two or three extra minutes in every match that made it a little bit worse than it needed to be. And a couple of matches that probably you didn't need to have on the, on the main card or on the pay-per-view. And then you would have left some, some bullets in the chamber for dynamite. And then you could have just kept momentum going rather than sort of have a show like this where, you know, the, the stuff that was good was just surrounded by a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's, I think it's a good way to look at it. Uh, I will say I did like SummerSlam better than this show Though the stakes were a little bit different with SummerSlam because I think I went in with much lower expectations and they just out-delivered my expectations. Uh, but this show, you know, I think once you create a bar for yourself, then you have to sort of reach that bar in, in the fans' eyes. I think they'll get a little bit of slack because, like you said, they're still sort of new. But there's, you know, that that shine is going to be off pretty soon they're going to be a year in on this show and i think people will start giving them less of the benefit of the doubt of being the young and the new company i still like the energy on that show i still enjoy the the freshness of that show but you know if, if you're talking about the last three two or three weeks the shows the dynamite itself has not been great so they need to sort of figure out uh how to you know how, how to kind of reverse that a little bit but you know again then again you know ratings have been have been good so who am i to say that uh that that they need to change anything but all right man thank you uh so what give, give me the uh 60 second version of of the hockey situation right now what what what's your what's your gig who are you who do you think's gonna win the whole thing all well, i cover the calgary flames for flamesnation.ca and unfortunately slash fortunately they're out of the playoffs now uh they got knocked out <laughs> in the first round so uh i'm just basically doing draft preview stuff which is lovely because the draft is fun uh the we're down to four teams in the stanley cup playoffs this year uh in the eastern conference the vegas golden knights and the dallas stars will be competing for one spot in the on the stanley cup final and in the in the Eastern Conference, it's the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Islanders. So uh, the New York Islanders were uh, one of the qualifying teams. There were 
for those of you who aren't aware of the NHL's minutiae this year, uh, they had 24 teams that went into the playoffs. Uh, 16 of them had to go through qualifying playoffs, uh, basically winning a, a best of five series to get in. So for the Islanders, because they were one of those qualifying teams, instead of winning 16 games like you typically need to do to win a Stanley Cup, uh, they have to win 19. So uh, they have mm. a little bit longer road, but they you know, they, they just uh, gutted out a, a seven-game uh, series win over the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, so they're the only qualifier team left. Uh, the, everyone else was sort of uh, one of the division winners. So we'll see what happens. It's it's going to be fascinating because, you know, Vegas is in their third season uh, in existence. And they obviously, being a third-year team, has never won a Stanley Cup. Uh, Dallas has, has, you know, won uh, a cup like 20 years ago. But they've sort of been decent but not really getting over the top. Uh, so they're fighting for one spot. Uh, the Islanders haven't been great since the 80s but you know they they could be ending one of the longer Stanley Cup droughts in the NHL and uh, Tampa Bay was the best team in hockey by a country mile last year and then they got swept in the first round of the playoffs so they've been coming into this year's playoffs with an absolute chip on their shoulder so uh, we got uh, you know two rounds left to go uh, everyone's me playing in a bubble in Edmonton uh, basically at games every other day from starting like tomorrow night, Sunday night uh, and rolling through until it sounds like they're going to try to get done before the end of September, uh, depending how the series is go. But uh, we'll see. It's, it's, uh, it's been fascinating. They've managed to get uh, two, two rounds, three rounds of playoffs done and absolutely no positive tests at all. So uh, it's kind of insane and it's kind of weird that they've managed to get this done, but so is, so is the NBA and, you know, bubbles work kids. Bubbles work. Wait, so, so who's going to win the cup? Uh, right now I'm saying Tampa Bay. I think it's going to okay. be a Vegas-Tampa Bay final. But, uh, man, that'd be a great series. All right, man. Again, thanks a lot. And uh, once uh, G1 is coming, so I'm sure we'll, we'll chit-chat again fairly soon. But, uh, yeah, thanks, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll chat soon. Sweet. Take care, man. All right, thanks to Ryan for uh, doing this. I, I really liked the, the different, uh, kind, you know, I, I did the rundown at the beginning, but I wanted to kind of dive a little bit deeper into this show. So we changed it up a little bit in in what this recap was about. So appreciate Ryan coming on board and, and doing that with me. It was pretty late for him. So uh, he, he came through uh, and, uh, you know, it, was, it probably wasn't easy. I think he said he had to get some coffee or something. So uh, let's talk about Sunday Ticket. So... Sundays are coming back in the NFL. I think, you know, the NFL is is like literally a week away. So uh, with the NFL Sunday TV, you can stream every live out of market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and Direct TV Fantasy Zone channels. You'll never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. So no matter where you live, NFL Sunday TV is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFL Sunday TV and use promo code BLUEWIRE. And the thing I like about this is if you, you know, for folks who have been Sunday Ticket uh, members as I have in the past, you could only get it through the actual uh, DirecTV. So this is this is uh, pretty helpful to be able to also go and get it streaming. Um, for people who, you know, for whatever reason, you know, maybe DirecTV is not necessarily in their ballpark, but uh, if it's out there streaming and, and you can get it streaming, then uh, it's, it's a definitely great value. 
All right, so uh, I'm going to bring on John LaRocca, and we are going to talk about the Clash of the Champions, uh, Clash 20. And the thing with this show is, originally we were going to do Clash, and then we were going to talk WCW Saturday Night, and I may have even mentioned that in, in, in the uh, as we're talking. But John had only watched The Clash, so we got our signals mixed up a little bit. So instead, next week, we're going to double up. We'll have two WCW Saturday nights instead of just the one so that we catch up and we're in, we're synced in time. So you'll get The Clash 20 review, but that'll be it for this week. And next week, we'll have to double up on our WCW Saturday night. So let me bring on John. All right, John and I here... Uh, talking about Clash of the Champions 20. So, John, as you're watching Clash 20, they go all out to bring back all of these uh, these past uh, old-time uh, classic performers. You see tons of tons of people, especially if you're watching, you know, I'm sure in the late 70s, early 80s, you're like going like, oh, my God, I haven't seen these guys in such a long time. And then... You see Andre the Giant, who had been synonymous with WWF, and then Bruno Zamartino is on this show too. And so, I, you know, I, I remembered that stuff, but just watching it again was was kind of surreal. And I'm thinking back, like, wow, you know, this is a really cool thing. I have one problem with this, which is why didn't they rent out an actual like arena? Even didn't it have to be big? But w- w- the presentation is like, you know, you're feeding me steak here, uh, but the, my plate is like a garbage can lid. Like, what's going on? Maybe it was like a reason to get all the executives going to be at the building anyways or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I thought the same thing, too. Like, why couldn't it be that Omni? You had Bill Dew there. Like, why couldn't it be there or, or uh, I don't know, Gainesville, Georgia, nice little or Georgia, the Georgia Mountain Center, you know, um, or the Cobb County Civic Center or you know, like why couldn't it be uh, something like that? Would have been it would have been nice, yeah, for sure. And then you could do the, you could uh, spruce up the building, lights, everything, uh, make a big deal about it, maybe a few extra matches. And um, but yeah, yeah, no, it was a little weird. I remember, I remember, I didn't expect it to be at center stage when I remember I first saw it. I remember they, they came on, and it was like we're here at center stage. I'm like, oh wow, but you know, they it was funny seeing the old uh, the the section of executives, right? Right, with their, with their tuxes and everything on, and next on the side, I thought that was kind of funny to me. I don't know why, but just they're there, like probably like, what is this shit? And or some, you know, some people <laughs> well, are, I mean, and some people know. Hey, Hank Aaron being there was really cool. Like, it's like, oh, like Hank Aaron gives gives the thing a little bit of of notoriety. Yeah, and he so, used to, he did some stuff with WCW before. Bill Watts used him a couple times. Even that Star Kid ninety two, he used him as well. I brought him out there to, I think, to talk about the Battle Bowl ring and get credibility <laughs> to that. <laughs> Okay, my favorite part of this whole thing is Sting drives in on this Harley and Missy just goes ape (laughs) over him. She puts him over like he's the biggest star in Mm -hmm. wrestling history. I thought that was really cool. I I didn't remember that part necessarily, but they were doing like a red carpet thing with uh, Tony Schiavone and Missy. There was one problem with it, which is... Missy, as the very attractive woman, is the one who's kind of supposed to stand out there and be out in the front. 
but she kept getting behind Tony mm-hmm. and the camera. I don't, they maybe, maybe they only had one or two cameras there, but it wouldn't kind of turn to her because I guess the red carpet, maybe she was in the wrong spot, but I'm just like, I don't want to see Tony. Like Tony's cool. Like he's going to talk, but you know, Missy's the eye candy for this segment and she keeps getting stuck behind him. And then, you know, you don't see her, but I thought that was, that, that was really cool. It, it made sting, you know, and this is, kind of the the problem here with Ron Simmons is Sting's clearly in their eyes the bigger star mm-hmm. and you know he kind of he come he comes in after Ron Simmons so Ron Simmons as the champion is not even like the last guy I mean just by crowd reaction on the show like Ron Simmons like third on the depth list when it comes to with, with reaction to coming out like it was uh, or even in the match itself it was Sting Rick Steiner and Ron Simmons at mm-hmm. you know, that's why I why I list it uh, and um yeah, I mean he but he did look cool coming out with his wife and everything. Oh, yeah. yeah, I thought that, that was, was cool. that was classy. He, he's playing that classy champion and I like what he's doing so far. But yeah, Sting is just still the the guy, right? He's still the man of WCW and I think I took him for granted when I was younger. Even though I thought he was cool, I like think he's so much cooler now that I, he is when cool. I rewatch this stuff. And it's just fun. and also I remember being like confused because I'm like Missy you were in Hostov International with Sting, you yes, know, like yeah, a kid. Yeah. And, uh, but she looked amazing. And, um, and, uh, she, um, her interaction with Bruno San Martino was actually probably, if you, if you talked to her, I'm sure that was, just, that was very genuine. Yeah. Because she's yep. such a fan of the, of wrestling and meeting Bruno was probably a big deal to her. Just like it was for me, just to be seeing him like two feet away from me at WrestleMania. Uh, was that th- what, 31 we went to mm-hmm. and he was here in San Jose and he was doing like a, at the uh, at the fan the fan zone area they had he was doing a, a Q&A in the ring the NXT ring they use and I, th- I was like oh man this is so cool to see Bruno San Martino just like two feet away from me so um, he just has that that he's that, that aura about him and so that was cool I, and I, I felt that that was like her I think that was her best the best thing she did just just that little moment so I think when we had run down these matches, there was like seven or eight of them. And I think there were only five on this show. We talked about the Brad Armstrong and Brian Pillman thing where uh, Brad's not going to be able to wrestle uh, and Pillman, you know, kind of healed on him and, and really called him out. But uh, they're going to do a tournament for the light heavyweight championship in, I guess, what, in November or something. They never do it. <laughs> that's it this is it this is until the crew title comes back in uh 1996 the last time so yeah it. so that's that's uh four wow four years so they just they just put the belt on ice he just he just I don't, I don't know if he was planning on doing it and it just kept became low priority which probably was you know lightweight title you know but um they could have done some cool stuff though with the relationship with new japan and and mm-hmm. you know they could have had them do it you know, and and say we're going to do it in Japan, and mm-hmm. and show highlights, and 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 have it over there, and then bring a certain like Jushin Liger as a special, or maybe not even Jushin Liger, maybe someone like new, like like uh, well, they had the young, you know, Koji Kanemoto was I think just Tiger Mask at the time, so or El Samurai, which or something like that could have been you know something different, and then you know Liger coming back and challenging for it, maybe winning it, and then. Pillman challenging whoever for that belt. But Pillman went off to do, you know, some good stuff after this. So the opener is uh, Ricky Steamboat and Steve Austin. And I think it's either this match or the main event, uh, based on your taste, is probably the best match on this show. This is the Um, best match, yeah. 
Paulie uh, was in a cage. Um, Steamboat still had the rib pr- protection, but Austin gets it off uh, pretty cl- quickly. Steamboat actually wins with a um, uh, off top the rope. top with a with a flying cross that kind of caught Austin off guard because he was like looking in the other direction, and so he won with that move to uh, to uh, win the TV title. Yeah, yeah, this was uh, my favorite match of the night. Um, you know, I watched this part right after AEW. So, like, so this match felt like it was the greatest match I've ever seen in my life. That's how bad AEW was when I when I watched it uh, an hour before this. And then, um, um, but yeah, really good work. These guys had great chemistry, and it's like just a tease of what's going to happen in a couple of years. In '94, when they had a really good series of matches for the U.S. title. Um, I I almost forgot it was no disqualification because when he came on the top rope, I thought that was kind of stupid. Like, why didn't he disqualify him? And I realized Jesse quickly was Jesse Ventura quickly said that you know he could do that because there is no t- you know, there's no disqualification, so you can go up the top. So and and the the fans voted eighty eight percent to they rescind sh- the top rope. How was they, that not a hundred percent? Could they, well they had that would give, Bill Watts had, had something on his side. <laughs> to, uh, could they not have revealed that? Before the elimination match, because they had some you know cheap top rope uh, disqualifications, but yeah, yeah, I know they didn't want to do that because they that's how that was their out. They didn't want a lot of people just getting pinned. And yeah, that, there were some cheap finishes in that elimination and match some confusion. Sure. Some some the announcers yeah. did not know that Scott Steiner got <laughs> disqualified or Scott match. Steiner. He was <laughs> he didn't realize it either. So. Uh, okay, so Anderson Neaton beat Slater and Valentine. Larry Zabisco was in Slater and Valentine's corner. He went to hit Arn with the cast, but Arn moved and he hit Greg instead. Then Eaton pinned Valentine uh, with the Alabama Jam off the middle rope. And uh, this was not very well shown on camera. Um it, it didn't. It didn't look great. The whole the whole thing. It was kind of like it, they didn't have a good camera angle of of the interference. But Anderson Eaton move on, and they're going to face the Steiners at the next WCW Saturday Night. Yeah, this match was weird because you know weeks and weeks leading to this, Valentine and Slater just beating up job guys and and torturing them, and here they are had to play the babyface. Right, they're yeah. working as babyfaces. So. Um, it was just so weird just because we, as we've been falling week to week and, and I mean, they worked hard. I mean, Va- Valentine was really just making a point trying to, you know, so he was really moving, moving pretty good. I never seen him move that fast in a long time. How, um, how does PS Hayes get in their corner? I feel like I missed something. Well, the promo before, right. Did they talk up? Yeah. Cause the promo before they talk about, how you know he talks about how they're combining the, the the three greatest tag teams. He's the Midnight Express, the Four Horsemen, and and um and the Freebirds. So that's mm-hmm. how so that's how he's there. And and I remember when this happened, I was like, oh my god! Like this was a big deal to me because you know they were you know three of the greatest tag teams of all time. So it was like a dream team to me with Hayes as a manager and and you know. Eaton and Anderson, as I always love their take tag team. I wish they had a better run as tag team champions, a longer run. But um, so I was like super excited about this team, and it just didn't do anything. It just kind of came and went. So um, which was a bummer. So, but yeah, like remember, I remember as a kid, like oh my god, this is gonna be killer. This is gonna be awesome. I can't wait. 
So you do a pretty cool Ron Simmons video to make him look like a, a really gr- the great athlete that he once was. And um, then the match happens and not a great showing by uh, one Mick Foley. And I think I he's think, hurt. Yeah. So he's got something wrong with the groin, maybe. Mm. And then um, I think he hurt something in this match, too. But he's something. he's hobbling. So, you know, we talked about, you know, why did Ron Simmons not really make it? I mean, part of it is just luck is you have Cactus Jack, who's taken so many crazy bumps at this time. And right around the time of the, this match to, to make Ron look great, he's hurt. So, you know, I'm sure I wonder I, I'm going to I need to maybe read Mick Foley's book again. I wonder if he mentions anything about this match. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember too. But yeah, I mean, I he f- clearly was hurt. I because he, he wasn't he, but he did some stuff. He still did his elbow off the. I mean, because he's a nut. Yeah, you know, he still did some stuff. But you could tell in between that stuff, he wasn't moving as well. And there was some, there was some uh, s- spots where there it was timed wrong. It's probably because he, you know. He was hurt and he couldn't get in position correctly. There's a lot of confusion. Um, the finish looked good though. The power slam looked great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it wasn't that. I'm sure Cactus really feels bad. You know, it, I'm sure he would was if he was if he was feeling good and didn't have any of the major injuries. I'm bet we were to seeing a bump show session from him and really put over Ron. I think he would have definitely done that because um, I know they had a decent match at Super Brawl too. That this the, the, the in 1992 and um you know it was a shorter match but it was wild and crazy and action packed so um, definitely the injuries you know just unfortunately you know played into it for Cactus and you know poor Ron Simmons and I like I don't think he did not come off like a star he just didn't have that breakthrough on live TV world championship performance that I'm sure they wanted to you know when they originally booked this match. Mick did save a, a situation with a pretty good promo mm-hmm. because Dan Spivey was not on this show, so the Barbarian needed a tag team partner. And Mick basically said that he told Dan Spivey to not show up because they needed Butch Reed, um, who knows more about Ron Simmons than any uh, anybody else. Now... Butch Reed is not facing Ron Simmons in this match, yeah. but uh, you know that this is sort of leading to Barbarian moving towards that main event uh, uh, with with Simmons at Halloween Havoc, uh, and so it's it's Barbarian and Butch Reed, and Butch is gigantic. Oh my God, he was huge. Just chest, his his whole upper body was just chest. Yeah, uh, against uh, Dustin and Barry Windham. And Barbarian pins Barry with that big boot to the face. And I think um, that's who he's kind of working with uh, at the house shows to get him ready for uh, Ron Simmons. Is, is I think Barry's going to be eating a lot of these big foots to the face over the next couple weeks. Yeah, this was a good match. I like this match a lot. Um, I thought when they had the review of Butch returning, I thought, oh, this is great as a kid. I was like, his former partner, I thought they are their their breakup and feud was a was a dud you know they had that one match like months later at super brawl in a cage and i think that was you know butch reed's last match in wcw at the time so i thought okay it's it's gonna be this they're gonna do something good here and like butch reed doesn't last that long i think i think he's gone as soon as he came so and i think if they would have really done something with 
with Reed and Simmons and some kind of special stipulation kind of match at Howling Havoc would have been better than what we got with, you know, Barbarian and Ron Simmons. So, mm-hmm. um, and you could really play up the history with those guys. Uh, I thought that was a missed opportunity, but I, I don't know what's up with Butch. I know he had some demons and stuff and, I don't know, maybe it wasn't having his pay. Um, you have to look it up on the server, but uh, I just don't. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was gone within weeks, you know, if not days after this, unfortunately. Okay, so this main event uh, Rick Rude, Jake Roberts, Big Van Vader, Super Invader uh, against Sting, the Steiners, and Koloff in an elimination tag match. I think I would have preferred this match to be a little bit longer so they could stretch out some of the eliminations a little bit better because they they just did a bunch of them right you know so nikita gets pinned about halfway through the match and then they just got to get everyone else mm, yeah. you know out of there it's um nikita gets pinned and then immediately and so here i here's a problem i had with this with this match is that there is a we want sting chant um you know coming like like you can hear it and the fans are kind of just building it we want sting we want sting and they bring Sting in after uh, after Koloff gets uh, gets pinned, but it's not in a hot tag moment. So the crowd like doesn't know what to do because Sting's in, and so they're happy, but they don't pop like if it was like a hot tag moment for him. So I thought that was kind of weird. And then he came in as a house of fire, but you know with Super Invader, which is Hercules Hernandez, and. It was okay, you know. They, they was it was, you know, Hercules is just a little bit older, you know. So um, either they did fine, and then that I know that's one of his moves is the the old face buster, but he never really pinned too many people with it. Later on, I remember like in like the end of WCW, he was pinning people with that that weird hand, you know, grab a hair bulldog, and just when I mean, he hit it on Super Vader, just it like felt like it wasn't going to be the finish and. I wish I w- I much rather see him hit the stinger splash and hit mm-hmm. the scorpion deathlock for a submission, and then um, because you know what's the, what's the hurt for Super Vader to tap out? You know they don't you know we're not supposed to know it's Hercules Hernandez anyways, right? But I think it's okay for a Super Invader to tap out, and I think that you can got heat right away on Sting as he's holding the hold. That's when someone comes in and clocks him, and then you can take heat from there. Um, it was just uh, this is when things started getting crazy. I mean, there was some good stuff though. Rick, when here comes Rick Steiner and Vader. That was yeah, that, that was, was cool. awesome. <clears throat> but then he almost dies with Vader on his shoulders. So were they trying to murder Vader? <laughs> Is that what's the plan? <laughs> because the Doomsday device, like what the hell are they trying to go for? And it just it collapsed and he still rolls on his back of his neck when Steiner hits that clothesline. But yeah. thank God it was, you know, not serious. Yeah. Um and Scott did, gets DQ'd for the clothesline. Yeah. He doesn't know it. The announcers don't know it. He's like, like, wait, I saw the poll before we came out. Like, it was done <laughs> deal, 89%. Like, what's the, going Scott, on? Scott Steiner had definitely had his moments as a uh, idiotic baby face, even though we were supposed to believe that Rick was the dumb one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and so uh, Rick gets counted out when uh, he gets a neck breaker on the floor. So now it's three against one. It's uh, Rude, uh, Vader, and Jake against Sting. So Rude and Sting are both laying, uh, they're both laying sort of uh, not, uh, the, their heads are touching, but their feet are going in the other direction. Yeah, they just hit a, a Sting hit a spring uh, slingshot suplex on Rick Rude. While and Vader so, is climbing the top rope and no one knows, like no one can pay attention to him. He's climbing to the top rope. Everyone sees it, but Sting. 
And so Vader comes off the top, <clears throat> big splashes both of them, and he gets DQ'd. Mm-hmm. And hurt. And, and hurt, yeah, because he, uh, he broke his wrist, I think, right? He rolled, yeah, he... he, uh, he I don't know why he didn't put his hands flat. You're supposed to put your hands flat. He put his left hand in a fist. And when he did that, it rolled it and broke it or sprained it or whatever the, the issue is that he's going to have. But uh, he grabs it right away and he, and he rolls out. And I knew right away he got hurt with that. That's why I knew exactly what he did, too. So Rude and Sting are, are laid out. Obviously, Jake is here to clean up the mess. Crowd is chanting DDT and Jake... Uh, drags Rick Rude, his lifeless body. This was good. Tags himself in, hits the DDT, and then gets the pin on Sting to win the match. And so after this whole thing, we have you know we have this main event match, and I look at the clock and I'm like, they have eight minutes left on this show or whatever it was. It was it was still a lot of time left. And I'm like, gosh, what what did they what did they do? I don't remember. Are they going back to the legends? You don't remember this? No, no, no. I I, I did the second I saw it. But I was trying to think about what it was, and then, because um, I, you know, because I wanted the match to be a little bit longer so they could have stretched some of these things out. And I'm like, ah, you had the time, and then we get this long form cell uh, of of the pay per view for Halloween Havoc. Sting enters this um, biker bar, maybe. Yeah, it's like the a cant- It's like the cantina of oh, just Star Wars ridiculous <laughs> looking <laughs> people. <laughs> Medusa is is hanging out, looking pretty sweet. Uh, Jake is is hanging out. There's a, a smaller person next to him, and Sting enters, uh, and he's like the only sane one. But Sting is not really sane because he's got face paint on. It's kind of weird. And so Sting and Sting and Jake are going at each other, and then uh, Jake is basically telling Sting, "Like, look, this is the you know you're, you're in my you're, you're in my place with my people." And then they announce the spin the wheel, make the deal. Now, when I'm watching this as a gosh, how old would I have been? Like teenager, sixteen or something. I swear to God, I thought there were going to be more than one spin the wheel, make the deal matches. Oh, more after this? No, no, no. I thought the card was going to have more matches oh. Oh. based on the spinning of the wheel. No, I, th- I thought it was going to be just a match, but also, as even as a young kid, I thought this was stupid. <laughs> I, I hated this. This is this is like this is like a you know I talk about all the time the Paul Bearer moment when my dad would walk in, and sure enough, this is a moment I'm like, oh god, don't dad. Look away. Look away. Don't don't give me crap for watching wrestling still. When the spin the wheel, make the deal happens, you know. It was a major hype job for the show. And then they did go off with some of the legends. Uh, <laughs> Jesse is uh, going off the air trying to get Bruno San Martino's attention to show him his wingtip shoes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that. Mm-hmm. Like Bruno's just like, what? Like, what do I care? No, the best part is Bruno was like, Early in the show, like I'm, you know, WWE's doing a great job wrestling. Like I like it. Wrestling oh yeah, yeah used yeah, yeah. to be. And, Shot probably, at and then he's like looking at. Probably had to like sit there. And like he's like he's he's smiling, but not really smiling. He's probably like, why did I just say all that? And we just saw this mess, right? Uh-huh. With the, you know. And then uh, and this also stood out too. The segment. They only have two hot chicks in WWE time. Like they couldn't hire another hot chick to be the the girl at the bar, like. Medusa, not only is she the Dangerous Alliance uh, 
Or no, now, now, now she's just regulated to Rick Rude's yeah. manager, right? So, or assistant or whatever. She gets the plane, she gets the plane tickets, she books the hotels, she gets water bottles for him. And she's also works at this bar and she controls the spin the wheel, make the deal. Like, it's like, we need a hot chick. Who do we got? We got Medusa. We got Missy Hyatt. You know, like this pretty, like they could just get it. Yeah. And, and Missy's technically a baby face, so she can't be there. You couldn't find like Lita Ford or something like, you know, she's going to work, you know, some, some, I don't know, something cool. Like it was just some rant. It's just, why is she there? It's just stupid. Oh, this was the first, I think this was also their first TBS movies, right? Because this will lead into 93, which you'd have the, the remember the Baywatch boat scene, the blowing up the mm-hmm. boat with mm-hmm. the, and I think that little person guy is like in all of them, right? I think he kind of goes through all this, all these little you know, TBS movie production places really like this guy. So he's he shows up in all these these movies, these little mini movies, and you know, just, just I mean, they could have done something really cool though. They could have done something without the the movie. They could have done something where you know, like Jake Roberts has a special announcement, and Sting wants a match with Jake, and Jake doesn't says, "I'm done with you, Sting. I want Ron Simmons." Right, mm-hmm. and then finally, like. You know, Jake has a special announcement. He's like, okay, Sting, you know, I, you know, this is, this doesn't have to be at the clash when they, they announced this. It could be the next night, next, next, uh, WWE Saturday Night Show where Jake Roberts has a special announcement and it's just like him in this warehouse and, and it's, you know, he has this, you know, talks about like, you know, you want to match with me? I have a match for you, but you don't know what it's going to be until you spin the wheel, make the deal. And he, sh- and he just shows this, you know, the big wheel and all the matches. And, and he explains what some of the matches on there. And he's like, I'll show you an example of one of them. And then here comes this job guy, you know, Larry Santo, Italian Stallion, whoever you want to put in there. And, mm-hmm. and, and he tells him, like, spin the wheel, make the deal. And the guy's, like, kind of scared. He's like, spin the wheel, make the deal. You know, you're going to get beating one way or another. And so he does it. And it's, like, some kind of, like, chain match or something like that. And he just... They, they do a, ma- a match there. He, sh- he show him beating up this guy, and and I would use blood here. I know it's probably standard practices then wouldn't allow it for TV. But what you do is you do the blood, but then you throw the X on, right? The old censored, like, oh, shoot, we can't show this because you want people like, oh, at the pay-per-view, they will show the blood, and that's what I want to see, whatever stipulation match is going to be. I just, I, it's just one of those, it's one of those things, it's like Warner Brothers messing up the DC universe, right? They're just, the executives showing up and just trying to put their two senses, not letting the, the creative people do their thing. Same thing with WCW got played with that. Like these studio heads wanted to, you know, you need to do this. And, and what are they going to, are you going to say no to the people that are signing your check? So you do it. And it just, you know, egg on WCW's face. But what, I, but you know, in WCW's defense, like, are you going to say no? You can't. Right. So you got to do it and hopefully no one kills you for it. So. All right. I want to thank Ryan Pike and John LaRocca, always for being on this show so for the both of them i'm double g we will see you when we see you peace out all right last ad of the evening we cannot finish a show without talking about bet online as i said in the previous ad about sunday ticket football is back you might not be at a game this year but you can still be in on the action 
at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all in one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.